We wish to thank the makers of Philip Morris cigarettes and the makers of Alka-Seltzer and One-A-Day Vitamins, co-sponsors of Queen for a Day, for delaying their broadcast time this afternoon in order that you might hear the third game of the 1948 World Series, which follows. Time permitting, Queen for a Day and others of WOR's regular afternoon favorites will be presented following the game. We take you now to the Municipal Stadium in Cleveland, Ohio. Look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. Gillette's Camelcade of Sports is on the air. From Municipal Stadium in Cleveland, Ohio, Gillette presents the World Series. Good afternoon, baseball fans everywhere. This is Mal Allen with Jim Britt, greeting you for the Gillette Safety Razor Company as the Boston Braves and Cleveland Indians get ready for their third game in this 1948 championship series. Gillette is on the air the year-round with on-the-spot reports of leading sports events. Gillette also broadcasts the major boxing match of the week every Friday night. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, for the first time in 28 years, the World Series has come to Cleveland. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the band massed in center field, facing the flagpole, and we're going to have the raising of the flag in short order. We're awaiting the uh, ceremonies and the attendant music. Probably have the playing of the Star Spangled Banner in just a moment. Meantime, Vern Bickford and Gene Bearden are continuing to warm up, and we'll tell you that the weather... It's not too good today. As a matter of fact, it's been raining all morning. It was raining up to a few minutes ago. And uh, during the course of the travel from Boston to Cleveland, looking out the window of our speeding trains, we saw it rain and rain and rain. But it looks like we're going to play. And now, ladies and gentlemen, our national anthem. here today is certainly, oh, there went a, well, just listen, a couple of rockets, that's a typical Bill Vick demonstration, one of the greatest showmen in baseball, and uh, Bill likes to set off the rockets and the fireworks whenever he has the opportunity, 
It's just hard to say the weather today is more conducive to uh, to football. And speaking of football, while the Rockets resound in the background, reminds me that my good friend Champ Pickens down in Montgomery, Alabama, is going to have one of the nicest Christmas presents in the pigskin world that you could possibly imagine. The annual blue-gray game on December the 25th, which will uh, come to you folks over many of these uh, same uh, mutual stations. That's December the 25th. Champ is getting into the hospital, and uh, I hope he gets out in good shape because we're all going to look forward to that wonderful football Christmas present December 25th, the blue-gray game which will come to you under the sponsorship of the Gillette Safety Razor Company over many of these uh, mutual stations. Now the umpires have come to home plate, ladies and gentlemen. The lineups are just about ready. They were a little late in uh, being given out today by the respective managers, but my co-worker, Jim Britt, has them, and uh, he's been running around in this uh, murky weather trying to get the lineups for some reason. They were, they, there's, all, there's all this confusion that we mentioned to in the beginning because of the late arrival of trains today. And uh, everything is just on a little late basis. So I'm going to turn you over now, ladies and gentlemen, to a young man who does a great job broadcasting American and National League games each summer and who's all set to move in here and describe for you the... First four and a half innings of today's game, the third in this World Series clash between the Cleveland Indians and the Boston Braves. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Jim Britt. Thank you, Mel. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. The Cleveland batting order has not as yet been officially relayed to the press box, but we do have the Boston Brave batting order. And Mel will check our tentative Cleveland batting order against the announcement over the public address system as I tell you who will start for the Boston Braves. Bickford and Bearden will be the pitchers. Bickford is a right-hander with a record of 10-5, and five, and Bearden won his 20th game in the championship playoff at Fenway Park. For the Boston Braves, Holmes, right field. Clark, shortstop. Mike McCormick in left field. Elliott, third base. Frank McCormick, first base. Knatzer, center field. Macy, the catcher. Stanky, second base. And on the mound, the ex-Milwaukeean, the rookie right-hander, Vernon Bickford, with a record of ten victories, five defeats. For the Cleveland Indians, the leadoff batter will be left fielder Dale Mitchell in left field. Larry Dolby, center field. Lou Boudreau, shortstop. Joe Gordon, second base. Ken Keltner, third base. Walt Judnick, 
right field. Eddie Robinson. First base. Jim Hegan, the catcher. And southpaw Gene Bearden on the mound with a record of 20 victories, 7 defeats. And now as the Cleveland Indians in their uniforms of white take their positions on the field before getting into a play-by-play description of the third game of the 1948 World Series, we pause 10 seconds for station identification. For the World Series and other top sporting events the year round, keep tuned to 710. This is W.O.R. New York. The umpires today will be Bill Stewart of the National League at home plate, Bill Grieve of the American League at first base, George Barr of the National League at second base, Bill Summers of the American League will be at third base. The left field foul line umpire will be Joe Paparella. And the right field foul line umpire will be Babe Pinelli. Paparella is from the American League staff, and Pinelli is from the National League staff. To review the series so far, Johnny Sane bested Bob Feller in the first game by a score of one to nothing. And yesterday, Bob Lemon came back to pitch superbly against the Boston Braves and set them down with one unearned run and eight hits. While for Boston, Spawn, Barrett, and Potter toiled, Spawn taking the defeat. Tommy Holmes will be the first man up for the National League champions, and he has one hit in eight official trips to the plate. He drove in the winning run in the first game, you'll recall. And today, he'll be looking at something he hasn't seen in the National League, namely a southpaw knuckler, because Bearden throws a good knuckleball. Holmes is a left-hander. Left-handed Bearden gets set. Here's the first pitch, and it's outside a fastball for ball one. There was no batting practice, nor was there any infield practice because of the inclement weather. The tarpaulin was on the field and was removed only at the last moment, and there were all kinds of wild rumors about the postponement of the game, none of which was based on fact. The outfield is set to the left a bit, and there seems to be apparently no wind. Whatever there is is blowing out toward left center. Here's the pitch. There's a drive that goes on the first hop to Boudreaux. His quick throw to Eddie Robinson is in time for the first out of the game. It was a line drive that kicked up the dirt at the feet of the Cleveland manager. And Tommy Holmes is out 6-3, to three, short to first. Alvin Dark, the Braves' shortstop, comes up. He has a total of just one hit in eight official trips to the plate. The Braves, of course, have had only ten hits so far in the series play, while Cleveland has had twelve. There are persons still arriving here, and it's far from filled at the moment, but it is, of course, a sellout. Bearden winds up to pitch to Dark. The first pitch, that took off. That might have been a knuckleball. It was high and wide to a right-handed batter, and the count is one ball. You never saw such confusion in your life as a result of the late arrival of the trains. Cleveland was a veritable madhouse. Bearden winds up. Here's the pitch. Swing and a miss. One and one. That was a curveball that broke over to a right-hand batter. Johnny Cooney is doing the coaching for the Braves at first base, and Billy Southworth, the Boston manager, is doing the coaching at third. The Braves, of course, are wearing their uniforms of traveling gray, and today the Clevelanders are wearing their white home uniforms. The wind-up, the pitch, 
low for ball two. Two balls, one strike to count. The scoreboard is in dead center field, and because of the batting background, that section is unoccupied. It's all green, and an excellent background is provided for the batters. Bearden takes his windup. Here's the pitch. Foul ball. That comes back into the crowd, and the count is two balls and two strikes. In the on-deck circle is Mike McCormick. Jeff Heath, broken ankle and crutches, is still with the Boston Braves. He's a former Clevelander, you know. When the Braves arrived this morning, there were approximately 15,000 gathered at the depot, hopeful that the first contingent would be their own beloved Cleveland Indians. Two and two, the count on Dark. He stands straight away. Here's the pitch. Swing and a miss. Strike three. It was a curveball. And Dark strikes out. That's the second out of the first inning. And Mike McCormick comes up. Mike McCormick has been at bat six times in the series and has two hits. He got two of the eight hits Boston collected yesterday. And Earl Torgerson, who is not in this batting order, got two more. McCormick is a right-hander from Ventura, California. The outfield straight away, not deep. Here's the pitch from Bearden. And it's a swing and a miss. He threw him a tantalizing slow curveball. McCormick seemed to be off balance and swung rather anemically at it. And the count is one strike. There are two men out, nobody on. The outfield not deep. The deepest is left fielder Dale Mitchell. The pitch. Swing and a miss. That curveball that broke down almost in the dirt. Bearden has been great for the Indians this year. The greatest game he pitched was that five-hitter. The payoff game against the Boston Red Sox last Monday. The game that brought Cleveland its first league championship in 28 years. Bearden says yes to the sign. Winds up. Fires one. Strike three. Swinging. Bearden turned in a great first inning. No runs. No hits. No errors. And none left for the Braves. The score is nothing-nothing. To the unpracticed eye, one kind of razor blade looks much the same as another. But what a world of difference there is when they go to work on tough beer. For the best example of that, take today's Gillette Blue Blade. This blade is so sharp, so smoothly finished, that it just skims off the whiskers, leaving your face feeling as refreshed as it looks. The Gillette Blue Blade saves you money, too. That's because it's made of steel hard enough to cut glass. So it stays sharp and easy shaving for a long time, far outlasting ordinary blades. Ask for Gillette Blue Blades, five for a quarter. Or better still, get a handy 20-blade Gillette dispenser for 98 cents. Look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. So with Tommy Holmes having grounded a shortstop, Al Dark and Mike McCormick strikeout victims, there is no score going into the last half of the first inning. And Dale Mitchell, the left fielder, Larry Doby, the center fielder, shortstop Lou Boudreau, will be the first batters for the Cleveland Indians. Dale Mitchell had one hit in five trips yesterday. It was his first hit of the series, and he has a total of one out of nine. Doby, who will be the second batter, has three out of eight so far, and he is the, season, he is the series' top hitter. Lou Boudreau, of course, had a good day yesterday with a double and a single, two out of five, to give him two out of nine. The applause is for Dale Mitchell, the left-handed left fielder. 
And Vernon Bickford, who is getting his first crack at a World Series game, gets ready to pitch to the left fielder. Bill McKechnie is coaching at third base, and Mel Harder, as usual, is coaching for the Indians at first. The Braves are warming up a pitcher, by the way, right off the bat. Bill Voisel. Here's the first pitch from Bickford. Strike called. He threw a fastball right down the middle. Mitchell has one out of nine, and he had a season's batting average of 335. He's a great competitor. Here's the pitch. A slow curveball hung up high, and the count is one and one. One ball, one strike. It's 410 feet to center field. That's 20 feet farther than at Braves Field because of the temporary fence here. Pickford delivers, and there's a drive that goes towards left field, and it's right into the glove of McCormick. Mike McCormick took the first put out. Larry Dolby, the center fielder, comes up. He's had a great series so far with three hits, including a double, in eight times at bat. It's 365 to left field, inside the line, 320 down the line, both ways. Bickford throws, and a curveball hangs high. That's ball one. To right and left center fields, it's 380 feet. To right field and left field, 365, and 320 at each foul line. Bickford winds up, pitches, throws a curveball inside, and the count on Doby is two balls, no strikes. Doby is one of the fastest base runners in the game. He's extremely fast in getting off the mark, and he has the advantage of being left-handed so that he's closer to, to first base than a man who bats on the other side of the box. The wind-up, the pitch, strike called. That was a curveball. The count is two balls, one strike. The Braves today are going to have to look at their first left-handed knuckleball pitching of the year because there is so no, no such competitor in the National League. Here it comes. That one is low. A curveball that broke below the knees, and the count is three and one. The outfield is just a little to the left of straightaway, and the crowd is still filing in. The stands are not yet filled. The dubious weather, responsible, no doubt. Here it comes. Ball four, and there's the first base runner. Toby gets a base on balls, and the great Cleveland manager comes up with two hits and nine trips in the series. Lou with the spark plug of yesterday's victory. And the crowd roars a welcome to him. His Indians proved their right to the American League crown by winning it like champions should. When they had to play off, they never played better baseball than they displayed against the Boston Red Sox. He bats from his crouch. He's right-handed. Outside, ball one. One ball, no strikes. Dobie on first base, one out in the Cleveland half of the first inning. Bickford delivers, swing and a miss. He broke off a nice curveball. Lou didn't come close to hitting it, and the count is one ball and one strike. Bill Voisel of 96 South Carolina is doing the warming up. He now lives in Oklahoma. Bickford is being very deliberate about getting his sign. Third baseman Bob Elliott is playing close to the line against Lou. The infield in a bit. There's a ground ball. It goes by the mound. It goes to Dark. Dark to second. Second to first. Double play. And easy does it. 
from Dart to Stanky to Buck McCormick. Lou Boudreau hit a routine ground ball that wound up in a very fast double play. And Eddie Stanky, who seems to throw the ball even before he receives it, doubled up Boudreau by about 20 feet at first base. It wasn't even close. No runs, no hits, no errors, one walk, and no runners left. So at the end of one inning of play, we have a nothing-nothing baseball game. Bob Elliott is going to be the first man up for the Boston Braves. Robert has just one hit in seven trips, but he drove in a run with it in yesterday's game, the only run, an unearned run for the Boston Braves. And then he'll be followed to the plate by Buck McCormick, who has had only one trip to the plate and has no hits. He entered the game in a pinch-hitting role yesterday. And then Clint Knatzer, who has not seen service in the series as yet. This will be his first Major League World Series appearance, although he has played in several Dixie Cup classics, having come from the Dallas Club of the Texas League. Number three, Bob Elliott. The public address announcer has just given the name of Bob Elliott. The Braves' bullpen is down the left field line. The Cleveland Indians' bullpen is down the right field line. And they have boxes jutting out on both sides. But they have no temporary boxes as at Braves Field. They have some standees out in center. Gene Bearden retired the side in order in the first. He gets ready to pitch to Elliott. And there's a slow roller down the third baseline. Keltner charges it, comes up fast, throws it, and it's out. Ken Keltner fired one to Eddie Robinson to retire Bob Elliott on a half-top, slowly rolling ground ball down the third baseline. Buck McCormick comes up. Frank McCormick is his regular name. He grew up on the sidewalks of New York, and World Series play is nothing new to him because he played in a series with the Cincinnati Reds. He has made one pinch-hitting appearance in yesterday's game, and he struck out. He's a right-hander. And he takes a strike, a curveball. One strike to count. The outfield is set to the left. Third baseman Kellner is playing close to the line. Here's the windup. Bearden pitches. There's a ground ball, and that one goes right through the middle for a hit. It's between second base and Lou Boudreau, and Larry Doby throws it back into Boudreau, who covers it a single. That gives Buck McCormick one hit and two trips. And it brings up Clint Knatzer. He's a rangy, right-handed hitting Texan. Very fast. He has been one of the two platoons of outfielders employed by Billy Southworth during the year. Bearden now has a runner on base for the first time. One man out. McCormick leads off. Here's the pitch. Low, ball one. He fired a curveball right off. Mr. Bearden has a very fancy left-handed knuckleball. And last night on the special train out of Boston, the Braves were speculating on just how well they would be able to solve it. One ball, no strikes. The stretch, the pitch. That looked like the knuckler, and it floated outside. Two balls, no strikes. When he played against the Red Sox in the championship playoff game, batters like Ted Williams were amazed to find that even with a count of two balls or three balls. He occasionally threw it. But of course the Indians gave him good support in that game so he could afford it. Two and nothing. McCormick takes a short lead off first base. Strike called. Two balls, one strike. 
In the on-deck circle, Phil Macy. He still has on his shin guards a precaution shared by most catchers in the event of a double play. The situation is one out. Frank McCormick on first base, being held close to the bag at the moment by Eddie Robinson against the left-hander. Now he strays off. There's a stretch by Bearden. Here's the pitch. There's a slow roller down the third baseline. Bearden decides to make the play to first, and it is an out with a runner moving up. Eddie Robinson took a low throw right over the top of the bag. Bearden's a good fielder. So, Knatcher goes out one to three, pitcher to first, and Phil Macy comes up as the Braves have a runner, Frank McCormick, on second base. Looks as though Bearden got just a little bit of mud in his spikes. Manager Lou Boudreau came in to have a chat with him. Bearden won his 20th game in the 155th Cleveland game of the year. Up to that time, Cleveland and the Boston Red Sox had split even in 22 starts. The only American League club to take the measure of the Indians, by the way, on the basis of their season series this year was the New York Yankees, third-place club in the American Loop. Phil Macy, the batter. He has no hits in one official trip in this series. He's a right-hander. Ball outside. Macy scored the winning run in the first game. After Salkeld had walked and gone to second, Macy ran for him, and with hat in hand, sprinted all the way home as Tommy Holmes banged a line single just out of the reach of third baseman Ken Keltner. The series is even up at one game each. No score in this one. Bearden delivers. Foul ball right off the end of the bat, and Macy went down to one knee. That makes the count one ball, one strike. Back in the box again is Macy. Macy has a habit of knocking the spikes, knocking the dirt out of his spikes after just about every pitch and stepping out. Bearden delivers. High. Two balls, one strike. Eddie Stanky is in the on-deck circle. He got a double in yesterday's game, but nothing came of it since it was the ninth inning and Bob Lemon was not to be denied his first World Series win. There's the stretch by Bearden. McCormick has a good lead off second. The pitch, and there goes a fly ball towards left field. Mitchell going back. He's back on the track, under it, and he takes it. The ball was hit 310 feet for the out. No runs. One hit, no errors, one runner left. And at the end of an inning and a half, the Boston Braves and Cleveland stand nothing-nothing. One of baseball's all-time greats, Frankie Frisch, member of baseball's Hall of Fame, is watching the game with us this afternoon. Frankie, I know you use Gillette Blue Blades. Tell us how they rate in your book. That tops with me, Jim. I never use any other kind. Have you tried the new Gillette dispenser that deals them out unwrapped? Bought one just the other day. It's mighty handy, too. Makes blade changing a sense, doesn't it? You said it. It saves a lot of bother. Thank you, Frankie Frisch. Men, for extra convenience, buy Gillette Blue Blades in the convenient Gillette dispenser at the price of the blades alone. You get 20 blades, 40 superb shaving edges, for 98 cents here, a dollar in Canada. Remember, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. 
going into the last half of the second inning. The leadoff batter will be Joe Gordon, the great Cleveland second baseman. Gordon in yesterday's game had one hit in four trips. He had the same in the start, so he has two out of eight for the series so far. And he'll be followed to the plate by Keltner and Judnick. Right-hander Vern Bickford gets set. Here's the first pitch to Joe. And there goes a high fly ball to short left field. Mike McCormick is standing, waiting for it to come down. He takes it. It was a tremendous high fly, but only about 270 feet out. One man out in the last of the second, and Ken Keltner is applauded as he comes up. Keltner has just one hit and eight trips in this series, and a great many of the Cleveland observers predicted and were hopeful of the fact that once he came back here to his native habitat, he might open up with some of those siege gun drives. The pitch, outside a curveball. One ball, no strikes. It was Keltner who handed Cleveland the pennant with a three-run home run that broke up what had started out as a pitching duel between Denny Galehouse and the youthful Gene Bearden. Here's the pitch. There's a ground ball that goes down the first baseline. McCormick takes it. He runs over, touches first in front of Keltner for an unassisted putout. That was hit right off the end of the bat. Looked like a curveball, and Keltner didn't get a good piece of it. An unassisted putout for first baseman Buck McCormick. Walt Judnick will be the batter. He did not see service in yesterday's game, by the way, but he had no hits in four trips in the series opener at Braves Field. The outfield moves around to the right for him, and right fielder Tommy Holmes is right on the edge of the track out in right field. The pitch, outside a fastball, ball one. Joe Paparella is the left field foul line umpire. Babe Pinelli is right out short of the stands at the 320 mark in right. The windup, the pitch, foul ball on the ground, down the first baseline, and the count is one and one. Johnny Cooney, uh, Mel Harder, made a grab for it on the way out. And the groundskeeper out there with a unique windup fires it all the way back. He seemed to enjoy it, and so did the crowd. One ball, one strike. So far, no score in the game. Buck McCormick has the only hit, Dobie the only walk. Here's the pitch to Judnick, high and outside. Two balls, one strike to count. The Cleveland scoreboard is every bit as impressive to watch as the Boston Braves. Pickford throws one. Strike call, the curveball, back Judnick out of the box, and he let it go. Two and two, it caught the inside corner. The right side of the infield is deep. On the left side, Dark and Elliott are in a bit. There's a curveball that was high, and the count is three and two. Bickford pitching to right fielder Walt Judnick. Both Lou Boudreau and Billy Southworth subscribe in the main to the two-platoon system of left and right-handers against right and left-handed pitching. Three and two the count. Bickford winds up. And that's ball four. Pickford started for the dugout, thinking he had a strikeout. But that's the second base on balls he has given. Eddie Robinson is the batter. He did not start the series, but he got one hit in three trips yesterday. He has one out of six.
He did start the series. I'm sorry. I was referring to the playoff game when Clark was brought in for an experiment. Robinson is a left-handed batter. Strike call. Curveball. Eddie got a hit yesterday. He has one hit in six trips. Doby is still the top hit producer with three out of eight. Judnick is being held very close at first base by Buck McCormick. Here's the pitch. Outside, ball one and one. And Robinson steps out of the batter's box. In many ways, he reminds us of Hal Trosky, who played a lot of first base for the Cleveland Indians. The outfield deep to the right. Bickford takes his stretch. There goes a long foul ball. Deep into the right field stands, but fouled by a good 40 feet. One ball, two strikes. Bill McKechnie is rubbing his hands reflectively down on the third base coaching box. Bickford seemed to be drying his right hand. Wiping the moisture off. Now he has his sign. He's using a stretch with a runner on. Here's the pitch. There's a high fly ball going back of second base with McCormick, the left fielder, coming in fast. And he takes it in short left center field to retire the side. No runs. No hits. No errors. One base on balls. And one runner left. Going into the first half of the third inning... The Boston Braves will send up Stanky, Bickford, and Holmes. So far, the fireworks haven't broken out in this series. Yesterday, Cleveland had a two-run inning and two one-run innings. So far, with scores of 4-1 and 1-0, Cleveland has outscored the Braves 4-2, but the series stands even up. Here in... The beautiful lakefront city of Cleveland, there seems to be a growing optimism that Cleveland is going to be able to take care of the Braves, but the Braves in no wise reflect discouragement. No score going into the third. Now we pause 10 seconds for station identification. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. This is WOR New York, the mutual station that brings you the World Series and other top sports events the year round. Back at Cleveland Municipal Stadium, second baseman Eddie Stanky, the number eight man in the Braves' batting order, steps in. He has one hit in four trips, a double. Low inside, ball one. Gene Bearden, youthful left-hander with 20 victories, pitching for Cleveland. Stanky has the only extra base wallop for the Braves in this series, and it came in yesterday's ninth inning. Bearden winds up, pitches. Inside, ball two, two and nothing. Stanky is the holder of the American League record for the most bases on balls in a season. He said it while a member of the Brooklyn Dodgers. And for some reason, he seems to be very difficult as a target. 2-0. and oh. Here it comes. Strike called. Bearden fired it right down the middle, a fastball. Stanky made no move to go after it. Tommy Holmes is in the on-deck area, but the next batter is scheduled to be pitcher Vernon Bickford. 2-1. and one. Here's the windup. Curveball called strike two, and nice one. Stanky let that one go, and the count now is even up, two and two. Stanky has slowed down as a result of his injury. 
He'll need the rest that the offseason affords. Here's the windup. There's a drive that goes into right field for a base hit. Robinson very nearly speared it with his gloved hand as he made a reach for it. That is the second hit for the Braves, and Stanky's second hit in five trips in the series. Number 24. The other day, there were a few second guessers who wondered why Lou Boudreau ordered him put on base intentionally. Well, the double in the ninth inning yesterday, and that single, plus his 315 batting average and his reputation as a clutch hitter, are a lot of good reasons. Plus percentage. The double play possibility, which was the real reason. Vernon Bickford, the pitcher, is a right-handed batter. This is his first appearance in the series. They're in looking for the bunt. It's a strike called. There was no play possible at first base because Eddie Robinson rushed the plate. So did Keltner. And with Boudreaux going over to cover second base, Joe Gordon's mission was to cover first. The way a defensive infield sets itself against the possibility of a sacrifice is one of baseball's most intricate and interesting plays. One strike to count. Bickford is up forward in the batter's box, crowding the plate. And he's set to bunt, but that pitch took off high and wide, one and one. Stanky is waiting his time, waiting for a chance to go to second safely. One ball, one strike. A high pitch is very hard to bunt. And, of course, a high fast one sometimes sets up a fourth. Sometimes a pop-up. One ball, one strike. There's a bunt in front of the plate, and the throw to second, not in time. It's picked up by Hegan, and he delayed. He tagged him right down in, fir- in front of the plate. Bickford is out. Then he tried to throw to second base. It would not have been a force, of course. Bickford did not realize he'd been called out and ran down to first base. And the first base umpire, Bill Greve, just pointed back to home plate where... Bill Stewart was still standing with his thumb in the air. It was a great play by Hegan, and it very nearly resulted in a double play, except that the throw to Boudreau was not in time for a tag. It is a sacrifice. Hegan unassisted, with one man out, Stanky on second. Tommy Holmes is the batter. He grounded to short last time. There's a slow roller back to the mound. Bearden has it. He turns. Fires to first, and Holmes is out. Pitcher to first as Stanky goes to third. On the sacrifice and the subsequent infield out, Stanky is on third base. Again, incidentally, the Cleveland pitcher has a couple of assists. Lemon yesterday was close to the record, you'll recall. Al Dark, the shortstop, is the batter. He struck out his first time at bat. He has one hit and nine trips in the series. Dark stands deep in the box, straight away. Outside, ball one. The Braves have had two base runners. Cleveland has had two base runners, both of them via the base on balls route. The Braves have had one man on second base, and now Stanky has reached third. There's no score. Third inning. There's a drive that goes to right field. Judnick goes back, and he takes it at about the 300-foot mark. That ball was sharply hit. No run. One hit for the Braves in the third. No errors. One runner left. The score is nothing-nothing. You heard Frankie Frisch, one of baseball's immortals, talk up the new Gillette dispenser when he was on the air earlier. 
Yes, and when you get acquainted with this handy shaving aid, you'll find he understated the facts. Men, the Gillette dispenser puts 20 Gillette blue blades, 40 shaving edges at your fingertips. Push with your thumb and zip. There's a blade unwrapped, ready for any Gillette razor. What's more, the shaving edges are perfectly protected at all times. They don't even touch the dispenser when blades are being ejected. Here's the handiest thing you ever used. Get a Gillette dispenser and enjoy extra convenience. You pay no premium, just 98 cents, the regular price of 20 Gillette Blue Blades. Look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. In their three innings, the Braves have no runs, two hits. Neither team has made a misplay. The Braves have two runners left. And Cleveland will come up in the last half of the third with Jim Hegan, the catcher, coming up. Hegan made that great play. He has one hit in six trips. And he's one of the best-looking catchers the major leagues have produced in many a moon. He's a tall, husky right-hander. Vernon Bickford, a right-hander, delivers. And there's a high foul ball, back of the plate. Bill Macy right down in front of us. Takes it. He took it about two feet short of the screen, directly back of home plate. A high foul pop-up. So he can foul to the catcher, and Gene Bearden comes up. Bearden, incidentally, is one of the better hitting of the Cleveland pitchers. He had two home runs during the regular season's play, which is a rarity among baseball throwers. He had a batting average of 256, and he drove in 14 runs, which is exceptional for a pitcher. He's a big, good-looking left-hander. Here's the pitch. A curveball called strike one. The outfield plays him slightly to the left. The weather is improving, by the way. The sun is trying mightily hard to break through. The wind-up. The pitch. High and fast inside. One and one. The coaches for Cleveland are Mel Harder, the former pitcher, and Bill McKechnie at first and third. And it's brightening every moment. One and one the count. Here it comes. There goes a long drive to right field. Tommy Holmes is going deep for it. Can't get it. time at Braves Field. Would have been long gone. Bearden is on second base. The ball went all the way out to the 380-foot mark in right field, by the way. Mitchell is up. That's the third double for Cleveland in the series. And the, the fourth double of the series. Ball one. A fastball thrown to Mitchell, who has one hit in ten trips. He flied to left last time. That's Cleveland's third double in the competition. And the fourth extra base hit of the series. And Bill Voisel is warming up for the Braves. He's a right-hander. Infield in just a bit. Fastball inside, and the count is two and nothing. Two balls, no strikes. Holmes was playing in fairly close with Bearden up. Pitchers normally don't hit a ball that far. 
Doby, Boudreaux, Bearden, and Stanky have all doubled. Low, ball three. Three and nothing. This is the first threat for Cleveland. And it took Gene Bearden to get the first hit of the game. The first Cleveland hit. Three balls. No strikes. Strike call, a fastball just above the knees, and the count is three and one. Mitchell just let that one go. Holmes is playing him deep in right field. Center fielder Knatzer is playing him in left center. But the infield is in a little. The pitch. Ball four. That's the third base on balls given by Vernon Bickford. And Larry Doby, the owner of the first one in the first inning, comes up. Buck McCormick, the first baseman, comes over to give a pep talk to Vernon Bickford. And Phil Macy, the catcher, goes halfway out to the mound before returning. Bickford is a Virginian who, during his most recent pitching accomplishments of 1948, has been very impressive, but he has had a slight tendency at times to tire in the late stage. This, however, is the last of a third, and the Indians have runners on first and second, with Doby up, one out. High, ball one. That curveball was wide. After Doby walked in the first inning, manager Lou Boudreau whacked into a double play started by Al Dark. No score in the third inning of the third World Series game. The stretch by Bickford. The pitch. There's a ground ball that goes to Stanky. Stanky to Dark. That's one. Dark to first. an error for Dark. A fielder's choice, an error, and Cleveland leads 1-0. That was a tough break for Bickford because it was a natural double play ball. It was hit so hard to Stanky that even Doby could not have beaten the relay to first base. Mitchell probably hit Dark as he was ready to throw the ball, and Doby reached on a fielder's choice and went to second on an error, and Boudreaux is up. Mitchell was out at second, four to six, second to short. Boudreaux, a right-hander. High, ball one. An error on the throw. An error was charged to Al Dark. That's the sixth Braves error of the series, by the way. One ball, no strike. Outside, two and nothing. Mitchell slid into Al Dark and was responsible for that ball going wide and it went right into the Cleveland dugout. Cleveland leading 1-0. There's no runs batted in credit. The pitch. Ball three. Three and nothing on Boudreaux. That was a much more made-to-order double play than the one in the first inning that Boudreaux hit because it was a hard one-bounce smash to Stanky. But it brought in a run. Cleveland leading 1-0. Here's the 3-0 pitch. Strike called. Bickford fired a fast one, and the count is 3-1. If you're scoring the game, Bearden was ruled to have gone to third on the fielder's choice, and then he was able to come in on the automatic error, a ground rule error, as it went into Cleveland's dugout. Here's the pitch. Ball four. And that's the fourth base on ball given by Bickford. 
Runners on first and second. Two Cleveland outs. And Joe Gordon up. Joe applied to left field his last time. A high fly ball. It's too early, by the way, to determine whether or not that was an earned run because the Braves haven't yet had an opportunity to record the third out. But if Gordon were to go out, it would be scored unearned. And it would be the third unearned run of the series. Gordon has two out of nine. There's a high fly ball to short left field. Mike McCormick coming in on the double. He's under it. And he takes it for the third out. And the run is unearned. One run for Cleveland on one hit. Bearden's double. And he scored the initial tally himself. One costly Boston error. A base on balls. Two bases on balls. The third and fourth. And two runners left. So at the end of three innings of play, the Cleveland totals. One run, one hit, no errors. Three men left. For the Braves, no runs, two hits, one error. Two men left. And the Braves have so far made six errors in the series. Boston has made a total of two runs. And prior to this game, the Braves had a total of ten hits. And they also had a total of five errors. Getting ready to bat for Boston will be left fielder Mike McCormick. Mike has been busy so far in this game. He has four putouts in left field. And neither Tommy Holmes, the right fielder, nor center fielder Clint Knatzer has had any. Mike McCormick has two hits in seven trips in the series. He got both hits yesterday, by the way. The crowd is very much attracted by the arrival of Bob Hope, who is one of the Cleveland owners. Here's the pitch. Outside, ball one. One ball, no strikes. Cleveland, one. Boston Braves, nothing. And this is the fourth inning. The outfield is set to the left. McCormick stands almost straight away. His stance tends to be a little on the close side. Fairly deep in the box. Bearden winds up. Throws a curve ball and he swings and misses. One and one. Mike struck out his first time at bat. Third baseman Ken Keltner is playing about 15 feet inside the third baseline. The outfield is to the left. The pitch. There's a drive to center field for McCormick's third hit of the series and the third Braves hit of the game. A single just to the left of second base on a line out into center field. That was Mike's second look at Bearden. Bob Elliott will come up. Elliott has had only one hit in eight trips in this series. But the hitting has not been omnipresent in a series like this. It's been pitching. The emphasis has been on defense. Cleveland leads 1-0. Right fielder Walt Judnick moves over toward right center field a bit. Elliott sets himself, and he hits a fly ball back of second base. Doby coming in fast after it. He's under it, and he takes it. Gordon went out after it. Boudreau didn't, but... Doby, who has all the speed in the world, came in to make the catch easily. That's his first put out, and Buck McCormick comes up. 
He's the Braves' first baseman, bats number five in the batting order, and has one hit in two trips in the series, and he singled to get it in the second inning of this game. And by now, the danger of any further rain seems to have dissipated. It looks like it's going to be a good afternoon. Bearden takes his stretch, and then Elliot calls time. And umpire Bill Stewart responds quickly. He had something in his eye, or rather McCormick had something in his eye, and he stepped out. And now he asks the umpire, George Barr, at second, will he move a little? Because apparently that pitch was coming up out of Barr's white shirt. What little of it shows. One man out. Here's the pitch. There's a ground ball back to Bearden. Bearden throws to Gordon. Gordon fires to first for a double play. No runs, one hit, no errors, none left. Gordon had to stab for the bag. There was a little doubt as to who'd cover that time. So at the end of three and a half innings of play, the score is Cleveland one, Boston nothing. You know Gillette broadcast the series to tell you, for instance, about the modern Gillette super speed razor. But, you say, you have a Gillette razor. Why buy another? Men, Gillette makes its money on blades, not razors. We want you to get the improved Gillette Super Speed Razor practically at cost, so you'll enjoy utmost shaving comfort and convenience with Gillette Blue Blades. That's something you can't do without a modern, improved Gillette One-Piece Razor. This razor has a notched positioning bar for use with a Gillette dispenser. Hook on a blade, twist, and you're ready to go. Convenient? Not only that, but much easier shaving than you can imagine. What's more... This razor can't jam, can't clog, and you don't need a locksmith to make it work. Get a Gillette Super Speed Razor with a 10-blade Gillette dispenser. It's a big $1.50 value for only a dollar. Cleveland very nearly messed up that double play. It's the third for them in the series. But for an instant, neither Boudreaux or Gordon started to cover. Keltner is up. And the first pitch from Bickford is low and outside for ball one. Keltner... Grounded out to first baseman Buck McCormick unassisted his last time at bat. Cleveland had two double plays yesterday. Outside, two and nothing. Cleveland has a one-nothing lead, despite the fact the Indians have been out hit by the Braves. Three to one. Bearden has been very effective. The pitch, and that's outside. Keltner was all set to swing and decided to let that fast one go. It's three and nothing. And again, Billy Southworth has given the wag sign to the bullpen, and Bill Voisel starts warming up. He's a big right-hander, the ex-giant. The wind-up, Bickford pitches. Ball four. That's the fifth base on balls Bickford has given in three full innings. He's been wild, but he has been effective. Had there been perfect support, we'd be watching a nothing-nothing baseball game. But Cleveland cashed in the break. In the first game, it was the Braves who cashed in the break. And yesterday, break or not, Lemon was too good. Walt Judnick, the right fielder, is the batter. He got the second base on balls his first time up. He has no hits in four World Series trips. And he's a left-hander. Strike call, a curveball that curved over the outside corner. Walter is wearing a turtleneck sweater as is Bill McKechnie and as are some of the other Indians. 
The outfield is deep to the right. Tommy Holmes in right field is out on the track at the 300-foot mark. The pitch. Fastball high. One and one. They played Judnick as a pull hitter. One ball, one strike. This is the last of the fourth with Cleveland leading the Braves in the third game of the World Series. One nothing. Here it comes. There's a high foul ball that is going out of play. Back into the stands about 20 feet beyond Macy's reach to the right of the screen, back of the plate. One ball, two strikes. Center fielder Clint Knatzer apparently has been waved over even more deeply into right center field. And he's stationed at about the 350-foot mark. About 30 feet short of the 380-foot sign. Bickford takes a stretch. Keltner leads off first. Strike three, swinging. That was a curveball that seemed to take off. It had a liveness about it. And that's the first strikeout for Bickford. One man out, first baseman Eddie Robinson comes up. He flied out to left field his first time at bat. He has one hit and seven trips. Bickford comes from New Canton, Virginia. A right-hander, he pitches, and there's a drive to left field for a base hit. And it is held to a single with Keltner stopping at second as a result of alert fielding by left fielder Mike McCormick. Three of the Braves went over to back up at third base. That was hit on a line, and it gives Robinson two out of eight for the series. That is the second Cleveland hit. Jim Hegan, the Cleveland catcher, comes up. He has one hit in seven trips. His first time up in this game, he fouled out to the catcher. The outfield moves around to the left a bit. Boisel continues to bear down, warming up. Here's the pitch. There's a drive that goes to center for a base hit. And after fields it on the second hop, here's the throw to third, and it's 2 nothing in favor of Cleveland. Kellner had no trouble sprinting all the way to the plate. And rather than throw to the plate and give... Robinson, an opportunity to go all the way to third base. Knatzer through to third base. So they're runners on first and second. Egan has driven in a run. The second Cleveland run of the game, the sixth Cleveland run of the series. The Indians lead 2-0, and Gene Bearden comes up. The infield is in a little on the left side. Bearden doubled and scored a run his last time at bat. There's still just one man out. There's a drive that goes to left field, base hit, and here comes the throw to the plate, and the bases are loaded. The bases are loaded, as Robinson made no attempt to score, and that appears to be all for Vernon Bickford. Billy Southworth is coming out of that slow walk of his, which is an invariable sign that he intends to remove his pitcher, and the reliever, when he comes in, will probably be Big Bill Boisel. Boisel now lives in Mustang, Oklahoma, but he was born in 
96 scout South Carolina. That's his batting average, too, by the way. He enjoys having that mentioned. And he wears the uniform numeral 96. He's being called in. To recapitulate this inning, Keltner started off with a fifth base on balls. That, in a sense, was Bickford's undoing. Then Vernon struck out Judnick, but Robinson singled Keltner to second. Hegan scored Keltner, sending Robinson to second, and then Bearden banged the first one on a line into left field for his second hit of the game. So with Bickford out of there, the first batter to oppose Boisel will be Dale Mitchell, the leadoff batter. He flied to left, and he walked. Bickford lasted three and a third innings. Here's the pitch to the left-hander, and it's a strike called. In three and a third innings, Bickford allowed two runs, four hits, walked five, struck out one. And, of course, these runners who are on base will, if any one of them scores, be charged to him. Cleveland leads 2-0. Here's the windup. The pitch. Fastball inside, and the count is one and one. And warming up for the second consecutive day in the Braves' bullpen is Charlie Red Barrett. He softballed the Indians yesterday, and they weren't able to get a hit of him in his limited time on the mound. The infield is in. Here's the pitch. High for a ball, two and one, high and fast. The Braves are set up as though they intend to try to play for a double play on a ground ball that's fielded by throwing first to the plate. In the on-deck circle is Larry Doby, kneeling on a towel because there's a slight amount of mud underfoot. Two balls, one strike. The runners are Robinson, Hegan, and Bearden. The pitch, there's a high foul pop-up. Elliott is chasing it, and he makes the catch over near the Braves' dugout. No advance, of course. He was just about 40 feet outside the left field line near third base. And Larry Doby comes up with the bases loaded. Boisel has completed the first half of his mission, which, if possible, is to retire Cleveland without further scoring. And now the infield goes back a bit and the outfield moves back. Doby walked once, grounded once. There's a ground ball that goes to McCormick. McCormick flips to Boisel. Boisel steps on first base to retire the side. It was a vicious ground ball. McCormick, fortunately for the Braves, was playing deep enough to field it, and he flipped it to the pitcher. One run for Cleveland. Three hits. No errors. One base on balls, and the Indians left the bases loaded. So at the end of four innings of play, the score is Cleveland, two, Boston Braves, nothing. Every Friday night is fight night on the air. Yes, Gillette's Cavalcade of Sports airs the major fistic event of the week every Friday night. Plan to be at Radio Ringside and enjoy the excitement blow by blow. Tune in Gillette's Cavalcade of Sports Friday nights for a rousing boxing match. Consult your daily newspaper for time and station. So far, the totals are Cleveland... Two runs, four hits, no errors, 
Six men left. The Braves, no runs, three hits, one error, two men left. And in the fifth inning, Boston will send up three right-handers to oppose Bearden. Knetzer, Macy, and Stanky. Stanky is the only Brave to have reached third base. The outfield will be set to the left with Knetzer up. His first time at bat, Knetzer tapped one back to the mound weekly, and he has no hits in one official World Series trip. Third baseman Keltner is playing in about 15 feet and a little deep at third base. Bearden winds up. Here's the first one. And there's a ground ball that goes right into Keltner's glove on the hop, and he throws him out. He didn't seem to know he had it for an instant. That was a scorching one-bounce grounder. Well tagged. It went so deeply into the web of his glove that he seemed to have a little trouble digging it out. One man out as Knatzer goes out, third to first. And Phil Macy, the catcher, is up. Macy has no hits in two World Series trips. Salkeld has done the brunt of the catching so far for the Braves. The pitch, there's a ground ball, and that one goes to Keltner. He cuts in front of Boudreaux, spears it, throws him, and gets it. plays in a row, both of them sparkling plays by Ken Keltner, give him his second and third assists. Eddie Stanky comes up. Eddie got a hit, a single to right, just out of the outstretched glove of Eddie Robinson in the third inning, and then he got as far as third on a sacrifice on an infield out. He was left there. He has two hits in five series trips. Strike call, Bearden threw a fastball. This is the first half of the fifth inning. Two Braves are out, no one on. Cleveland has a lead of 2 nothing. The pitch, high and wide, one and one. That was a slow curveball. Didn't break the way it was intended to, perhaps. Tommy Holmes on deck, Eddie Stanky, who stands straight away in the batter's box. Here's the pitch. Foul tip. That was beaten right down in and out of the mid of Jim Hegan. And the count is one ball, two strikes. You know, Stanky was another player who had to be approved for World Series play because on the eligibility dateline, he was still on the disabled list. So there are four players in this series. Rosen, Stanky, Sanders, and Rickert, who would normally have been ineligible. One and two the count. The outfield a little to the right, low outside, and the count is two and two. Bearden is a very impressive pitcher, and the Yankees rue the day they ever cut him adrift. The windup, the pitch. There goes a long fly ball down the left field line. It's a case of whether it's fair or foul. Foul ball. Just foul. A foot or two at the 320-foot mark. A long drive down the left field line that looked like the first home run of the series. There's a little screen just inside the yellow foul pole for home runs that are normally hard to determine. 
and that was just about two or three times the width of the screen to the left. And Joe Paparella, who was just about 30 feet from the fence, waved it foul, and oddly enough, it was interesting to note that the other two umpires at home plate and third base let him give the sign. That's his job out there. Two and two the count. Here's the pitch. Outside, three and two. Three balls, two strikes. Sometimes a series can turn on just such a ball. A little earlier this year, Bob Lemon hit a home run against the Red Sox that was fair by just that margin at Fenway Park. Three and two the count. There's a drive to left field. Mitchell has scarcely the move. Takes it to retire the side in one, two, three order. No runs, no hits, no errors, none left. At the end of four and a half innings of play, the score is Cleveland two, Boston nothing. Folks, have you heard about K34, the amazing facial antiseptic now contained in Gillette shaving creams? K34 destroys from 85 to 99% of the dangerous bacteria on and beneath outer layers of the skin. What's more, the bacteria count stays down. The protection lasts from one day to the next. This means that simply by softening your whiskers with Gillette brushless or Gillette lather and enjoying a smooth, refreshing shave, you end up with the cleanest face a man can have. Not just clean looking, but surgically clean. K34 is the only safe antiseptic known that retains full germ-killing power when combined with shaving cream. And only Gillette shaving creams contain K34. Enjoy this valuable protection. Ask for Gillette Brushless or Gillette Lather a quarter. Now for a broadcast of the remainder of the game, here is my colleague, Mel Allen. Hello there, everybody. Once again, we're ready for the last half of the fifth inning. The first pitch to Lou Boudreaux is swung on. It's a long fly ball down the left field line. Mike McCormick going for it in foul territory. Can't get it. The ball's out of play. A drive similar to that of Eddie Stankey's a moment ago that went towering down the left field line, swerving until at the moment that it left the playing area, it was foul. Bill Boisel, the right hand into the windup. Here's the pitch. Lute takes fastball inside. And the count is 1-1 on Lute. Outfield playing him step toward left. Now the pitch. Boudreaux swings, lets a high pop-up toward third. Bob Elliott under it. Waiting for the ball to come down, and he makes the catch. So there's one away in the last half of the fifth inning as Lou Boudreau pops out to Bob Elliott at third. Lou had hit into a double play and walked previously. And now here is Joe Gordon stepping in. Outfield around toward left. You've got Mike McCormick in left. Trent Conatzer in center. Tommy Holmes in right. Infield shaded well around toward third as they look for Joe to pull. Bill Voisel into a fancy windup throws low inside for a ball. You got Bob Elliott laying back at third, about five feet off the line. Al Dark, the shortstop, in a step or two over toward the gap. Here's your pitch. Change up. It's swung on a little grounder down the third baseline. Charged by Elliott. Scoops it up. Fires over to first to McCormick in time. And they're two away. Bill Voisel pulled the string on Joe Gordon. And Joe succeeded only in tapping a slow roller down the third baseline, which Bob Elliott charged. Fielded perfectly and uh, rifled a good shot over to first to retire Gordon. Now Kenny Keltner steps up. Kenny grounded out to Mike McCormick, or rather Frank McCormick in the second inning. Takes a pitch outside for a ball. 
Kellner walked in the fourth to start an inning that led to the Indians' second run of the ball game. The Indians lead two to nothing. Last half of the fifth, Boisel delivers a changeup that's high. Ball two comes in with that slow stuff. Bill McKechnie coaching at third base for Cleveland. Mel Harder at first base. Eddie Stanky is a step on the grass in right center and about two strides to the right of second base. Now the pitch. Another changeup is swung on. Blue tied in the left field coming fast as Mike McCormick makes a nice running catch for the out. The ball almost dropped in front of him. As Bill Boisel, pitching very casually, made Gordon and Keltner go for changeups, and Keltner was unable to get very much power behind his drive. Out in order for the Indians. No runs, no hits, no errors for the Boston Braves, and nobody left on for Cleveland. And so the score at the end of five complete innings. Cleveland two, Boston nothing. And now we pause 10 seconds for station identification. Remember men, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Queen for a Day, usually heard over WOR at 2 o'clock, will be presented today immediately following the broadcast of this game. This is WOR New York. Your five-inning totals, ladies and gentlemen. The Indians, two runs, four hits, no errors, six men left on. The Braves, no runs, three hits, one error, and two men left on. And the one error paved the way for one of the Cleveland two runs. Now as we go to the top half of the sixth inning... Bill Voisel leading off, takes a pitch inside. Ball one from Gene Bearden, the left-hander. Voisel wears the number 96 in the back of his uniform, who was born in 96 South Carolina and whose batting average is 96 on the season, awaits the delivery, takes fastball in there for a call strike. Count evened up, one and one. Cleveland two. Boston nothing, top of the sixth inning, third game of the World Series. Gene Bearden all set comes in now with that sinking knuckler for strike two on the swing by Bill Boisel. One ball, two strikes to count. Bearden tosses an unusual kind of knuckler. It isn't the normal type that comes dancing in like a butterfly. It uh, moves in faster and dips. There's a pitch that swung on, a bounder hit out to short, taken on a big hop by Lou Boudreaux. There's his throw over to Eddie Robinson in time, and Bill Boisel is out at first. One away, and now we go to the top of the order for the Boston Braves to pick up Tommy Holmes. Tommy, left-hand batter, grounded to short, bounced out, pitcher to first. He's had one hit in the series, and that was a mighty big one. Drove in the winning run in the opening game of the series over in Boston to help Johnny Singh beat Bobby Feller. Tommy Holmes, a five-foot, 175-pounder, looks at a slow curve that stays inside and high ball one. One ball, no strikes. Two to nothing. Favorite Cleveland, top of the sixth inning. Al Dark on deck will hit next. Holmes, a left-hand batter, finds the outfield, shading him toward left and center and left, straight away and right. Gene Bearden comes in with a pitch, swung on. It's a grass cutter, hit out to second. Joe Gordon over near the bag, gobbles it up, throws over to Robinson in time, and they're two away. Holmes grounding out second to first, Gordon to Robinson. The Indians, full of pepper, whip that ball around the infield, and up to the plate now comes Al Dark who struck out in the first inning and flied to right in the third. Al Dark, who was a great football player at LSU, 5'11", well, just a half inch better than that, 185-pounder. 
from Lake Charles, Louisiana. Gene Burden, left-hander, comes in with it, and it's high outside, ball one. Outfield plays dark straight away. Kenny Keltner laying about halfway back at third, four or five feet off the line. Lou Boudreau is in six, seven steps at short. He plays the shallowest shortstop of anybody we've ever seen. Enables him to get that jump on the ball and make up for a lack of speed. The delivery swung on, so good long fly ball deep to left field. Mitchell going back, racing back toward the wall. He may get under it. He can't do it. It's up against the ball, bounding away. Dark digs for second, and he holds up there as Mitchell recovers the ball quickly and fires the throw toward third. Cut off by Lou Boudreau. Al Dark just missed a home run by a manner of two or three feet as his long drive to deep left field, about 15 feet wide of the line, hit halfway up on the wall and bounded back into the playing area. He just missed a homer by two or three feet. It's a double for Al Dark with two down the top of the sixth inning. And that, of course, is the second extra base hit for the Boston Braves in the series. And a matter of fact, as we check further, we'll give you more details. All the extra base hits have been doubles. Here now is Mike McCormick. He swings the first pitch, lifts a high pop-up out in the short left center. Gordon goes out in the butt draw, and Gordon makes the catch. It almost drops. converging. That ball almost dropped among them for a base hit, but Gordon, in a last-minute lunge, grabbed the ball for the third out. In left center field. That's how far the second baseman had to go over to make the play. No runs for Boston. One hit. No errors for Cleveland. And one man left on for the Braves, and a hand for Gordon as he comes into the Indians' dugout. At the end of five and a half innings, the score. Cleveland two. Boston, nothing. And now while the teams are changing sides, here's a friend of yours and ours, too, Jeff Heath, slugging outfielder of the Boston Braves. Come in, Jeff, and say a word to the fans. About that fancy Gillette razor you gave me last night? Yeah, that should make good listening. Well, folks, I shaved with one of those new Gillette Super Speed razors this morning, and I want to tell you it's out of sight. Simply marvelous. Makes blade changing easy, doesn't it? You might almost say fun. It's the way the razor shaves, it sells me. It just skims the whiskers off. Folks... With the improved Gillette Super Speed Razor, you change blades instantly and get the slickest shaves in the book. See for yourself. Get one with a 10-blade dispenser, a regular $1.50 value, for only a dollar. Last half of the sixth inning. Cleveland Indians up. Waller Judnick takes a pitch outside, ball one. They lead the Boston Braves 2-0, last half the sixth. Judnick walked and struck out previously. There's a changeup that's inside into the dirt. Bounds away from Phil Macy. Little airplanes flying overhead. There's a little landing field out on the lakefront. Right in behind center field is Lake Erie. Now the pitch on its way. Swung on and missed as Walt Judnick took a terrific cut at that ball. As a matter of fact, when you leave this ballpark, if you don't watch yourself closely and you walk out towards center field, if you happen to be looking over your shoulder, you'll walk right into the right into the lake. Now the delivery, swung on. It's a long fly ball, hit into right center field. Conatcher and Holmes race over. Let's see who's going to get it. It's going to be Conatcher, and he's got it. Judnick skies to Clint Conatcher. 
in deep right center. Both men were there, Tommy Holmes and Clint. It was just a matter of which man was going to take it, and Clint finally wound up with it. So with one away, here's Eddie Robinson, the Indians' first baseman who flied to left and single to left. That's him left-handed. Outfield plays him rather deep. Bill Boisell, the right-hander, delivers uh, outside, but it's a strike inasmuch as Eddie Robinson attempted to bunt the ball by throwing his bat at it and missed. Strike one. Jim Higgins on deck. Robinson squares away. Hits a long ball. They give him a lot of room down that left field line. Here's your pitch. Swung on. That's a high pop-up out in the short right. Eddie Stanky backs up. Coming in is Tommy Holmes. And it is Stanky making an overhead catch in right field. Nice play by Eddie. Tommy Holmes is very deep and right, as we told you. Since Robinson, full hitter, hits a long ball. And that was the... Texas League variety pop-up. And Eddie Stanky, despite his uh, injured ankle, went hobbling out there into short right and made the catch over his head. So with two down, up comes Jim Hegan, boy from Lynn, Massachusetts, who fouled out to the catcher and singled to center last time up. Looks to pitch that's outside. Ball one. A low-flying plane overhead. Bill Boisel working rapidly, right-hander delivers. Fastball swung on, lifted up into the air, out into right field. Not too deep, getting under his Tommy Holmes, makes the catch. And that's all for the Cleveland Indians in the last half of the sixth innings. They go out in order. No runs, no hits, no errors, and nobody left on. Thus, at the end of six innings of play of this third game of the 1948 World Series, the Cleveland Indians are out in front two to nothing. And for you late tuners in... The Indians got one run in the third inning off Vern Bickford, who was the starting pitcher today for Boston. When with one out, Gene Bearden, the Indians pitcher, blasted a double over the head of Tommy Holmes in right field. Dale Mitchell walked, and with runners on first and second, came a break in the ball game in favor of Cleveland. When the hard-hitting Larry Doby blasted a hard grounder to second baseman Eddie Stanky, who immediately fired to Al Dark to engineer the potential double play. They got Mitchell, but Mitchell bumped the arm of Al Dark as he slid in at the same time that Dark was attempting to throw to first to double up Doby, and as a result, his throw was wild, went into the Indians' dugout, and Bearden was thereby unable to score. Otherwise, the inning would have been over without a tally. Then the second run came across for Cleveland in the fourth inning when Bickford committed that cardinal sin of baseball of walking at first man and then after Judnick struck out, successive singles by Robinson and Hegan delivered Keltner. And then after Bearden had singled, Boisel came on to put out the fire. Bill Boisel still in there. Now we're ready for the top of the seventh inning. Bob Elliott, a right-hand hitter up. Gene Bearden pitching sensational ball. Into the windup. The left-hander throws. Elliott swings and rams one into the hole between third and short out of the left field for a base hit. Mitchell up for the ball, whips his throw into second, taking his turn around first and holding up his Elliott, and he goes back to the bag at first with a single to left, picking on that first pitch, and that is the fifth hit for the Boston Braves. They have not had more than one hit in any inning. The Indians bunch three hits in the fourth inning. The Braves have out-hit the Indians five to four. Now here's Frank McCormick, right-hand batter. The stretch by Bearden. The pitch, high outside, ball one. 
One ball, no strikes. Bob Elliott, who had grounded at third and flied to center, just now singled left, opened the seventh inning for the Braves, who trailed the Indians two to nothing. That's Elliott's second hit of the series. Gives him two out of ten. Frank McCormick awaits the delivery. Looks at one that's low inside. Ball two. Two balls, no strikes. Kenny Keltner guarding that third baseline, laying halfway back, about five feet off the line. Lou Boudreaux in about five steps at short. Shedding second a little more than third. Joe Gordon laying just about two strides to the right of second as you look out onto the field and in a step or two. Eddie Robinson holding against the runner, Bob Elliott. The outfield step toward left. And deep in left, not, uh, just a little bit shallower in center and somewhat shallow in right. Now the stretch by Bearden. Here's the pitch. And it's over that outside corner about letter high for a call strike. So the count is two and one on Frank McCormick as the Boston Braves, trailing two to nothing, hope to be able to start something in the way of an uprising in the teepee of the Cleveland Indians on the shore front of Lake Erie. Bearden again sets, checks his runner. Elliott leading off first. Here's your pitch. McCormick takes, and it's over the inside corner for call strike two. Two balls, two strikes. And now time is called. Time is called for a moment. Bob Elliott calls time. He steps off first base. Something's in his eye. Johnny Cooney, who is coaching over there at first base today, walks over and helps him out. Billy Southworth, the brave skipper, coaching at third. Time's back in. Activity in the Indians' bullpen. Ed Clymer, Ed Kleiman, and Russ Christopher, two right-handers, are throwing. Gene Bearden all set to the 2-2 pitch now to Frank McCormick. Here it is. McCormick swings and he misses. Frank for you. Throw down the first base of Tang. Not in time to double up Elliott, who had a big lead and was ready to go on the pitch. As Frank McCormick went down, striking out. Looked like he struck out on that tumble-down knuckleball. All right, with one down... Up steps Clint Conatzer. Five foot eleven, 180 pounder from Los Angeles, California. Bounced out to Bearden and grounded out to Keltner in his two previous appearances. Right hand hitter. Billy Southworth has injected as many right hand hitters into the lineup as he possibly could today against the left hand slants of Gene Bearden, who now throws. Conatzer swings and grounds one down to Keltner. Up with it. Over to Gordon for one. Gordon back to Eddie Robinson. Double play. Cleveland Indians keep coming up with those double plays in the clutch to help out their pitchers. No runs for the Braves. One hit. No errors for the Indians. And nobody left on for Boston. And the score at the end of six and a half innings. Cleveland two. Boston nothing. You know it's fun to change blades with a modern Gillette Super Speed Razor as Jeff Heath of the Boston Braves said a while ago. And you just skim the whiskers off. Twist, the razor opens. Zip, it's loaded. Twist again, and man alive, what shaves you get. To clean, just loosen the razor, rinse, shake, and put it away. Convenient? Hmm, you said it. Economical, too. For Gillette razors and blades are double-edged for a double economy. You get two edges, not just one. Enjoy far more shaves per blade and save money. Another thing. This improved razor is precision-made. It never jams and clogs. There's nothing to fit together, nothing to waste time or patience. What's more, you get the razor plus a 10-blade Gillette dispenser, a regular $1.50 value, for only a dollar. Buy a Gillette Super Speed Razor for superlative shaving satisfaction.
Gene Bearden leading off in the last half of the seventh inning. Takes a pitch low for ball one. The Indians leading two to nothing. You may have heard the Cleveland band playing Take Me Out to the Ball Game a moment ago. Bearden looks at a fastball low outside. Ball two. That is customary and traditional here in the Cleveland ballpark during the course of the regular season. Boisel delivers quickly, and it's in there. Fastball for a call strike. Gene Bearden has been quite a star today, both on the mound and at the plate. He doubled in the third inning, scored the first run for Cleveland. Now he looks at a fastball over the outside corner for call strike two. Bearden single to left in the fourth inning to keep a rally alive, which Bill Boisel snuffed out as he came on to relieve Vern Bickford. Bickford had gone three in the third innings, allowed four hits, walked five, struck out one, and gave up both runs. Boisel throws, Bearden swings, sends a slow bounder out towards short Alvin Dark up with the ball, and nice hop, whips his throw over to first in time, and there's one away for Cleveland in the last half of the seventh inning. Now we go to the top of the order to pick up Dale Mitchell. Mitchell, a left-hand batter, flying to the left, walked and fouled out to Bob Elliott. Mitchell hasn't been in organized baseball very long. He's come a long way in a short time. A left-hand batter takes outside, ball one. Bill Stewart calling balls and strikes. Billy Greve umpiring at first base. George Bard second base. And Bill Summers at third base. Boisel throws, pitches swung on and fouled back to the screen. Joe Paparella is the left field line umpire and Bay Pinelli the right field line umpire. One ball, one strike, one out, last the seventh. Cleveland two, Braves nothing. Bill Boisel comes in with it. It swung on, popped up into the air down the left field line. Elliott digs for it. Al Dark goes out on the grass along the line, under it and makes the catch for the out. He's wearing sunglasses. The sun is out now at Municipal Stadium. And it's been rather a confusing day as far as the weather is concerned. It's just been a day of confusion all the way around, except for the game itself, which is moving along in sparkling fashion, tightly contested. Typical World Series play. Now you have Larry Doby, who walked, hit into a force play, and grounded out to first, stepping in. Bats him left-handed. Boisel throws. Slow curve that's over there for a call strike about letter high. Got the inside corner. Larry Doby, a six-foot, 182-pounder from Norwalk, Ohio. He takes a fastball up around the eyes now, and the count is even up one and one. Cleveland two, Braves nothing, last the seventh. Bill Boisel pitching excellent relief ball, working rapidly. He delivers to Doby, who swings and misses. He struck hard at that one. And the count is one and two. Doby takes perhaps the most vicious cut of anybody in the American League. Red Barrett is throwing the bullpen for the Braves. No activity in the Indians' bullpen at the present time. Kleiman and Christopher were warming up a little while ago. Bill Boisel swings into his windup two or three times. Over the head, here's your delivery. And it's inside for a ball as Bill Boisel swung around with his arm, with his back to the plate after uh, Bill Stewart had called that a ball by way of protesting the decision. Thought they had the inside corner on Doby. Almost a, a beautiful pitch. But Bill Stewart, right on top of it, saw the ball just off the corner. Now Boisel's delivery. Swung on, it's a ground ball hit on the hole between first and second and threw out in the right field for a base hit. Tommy Holmes comes in, scoops the ball up, and uh, 
he holds on to the ball as Larry Doby took a tremendous turn around first, and Doby probably would have broken for second had Holmes elected to throw to first. So Doby was trying to outbox Holmes. Holmes refused to let go of the ball until he kept running in toward the infield, and Doby had to finally go back to first. So it's a single for Larry uh, Doby to right field. And here's Lou Boudreau. Takes a high outside delivery, ball one. That's Doby's fourth hit on the series. In 11 times at bats, is that right, Jim? Lou Boudreau, right-hand batter up, stretched by Boisel. Here's your pitch. Lou swings and lifts a high pop up down the left field line. Bob Elliott digging. So is Al Dark. Our Dark is over there and makes the catch, and it's in foul territory. It was signaled by Bill Summers that Al Dark caught the ball in foul territory. So that's all for the Cleveland Indians. In the last half of the seventh inning. No runs, one hit, no errors for the Braves, and one left on. Al Dark had a hand in all three outs that time. He tossed out Bearden and took pop-ups from Mitchell and Boudreaux. Thus, at the end of seven innings of play, the Indians still lead the Boston Braves by a score of two to nothing, with your total showing the Indians two runs, five hits, no errors, seven men left on base, and the Boston Braves showing no runs, five hits, one error, and three men left on. Gene Bearden has been stingy in allowing more than one hit in any inning. The Braves got a hit in the second, one in the third, one in the fourth. One in the sixth, one in the seventh. But there have been double plays coming to the rescue of Bearden in important situations. The Indians having coming having uh, come up today with two double plays, one in the fourth and one in the seventh. They made a couple yesterday in important situations to help along Bob Lemon. Just when it seemed that the Braves were on the verge of starting a rally, up would come the double play. To a pitcher, that's the greatest play in baseball. And so we're ready now, ladies and gentlemen, for the top half of the eighth inning. And the Boston Braves are sending up Phil Macy, Eddie Stanky, and Bill Boisel, unless perhaps you may have a pinch hitter because Red Barrett is still throwing the bullpen down there for Boston. Gene Bearden, the left-hander, throws. Macy bunts down the third baseline. Bearden races over, picks the ball up, fires it over to first in time for the out. Braves trying to be resourceful, realizing that Bearden's being a rough customer to handle insofar as getting base hits is concerned. Trying to get on in some other fashion. And Bill Macy attempted to lay one down and beat it out. He caught Keltner laying back, but he was unable to push it far enough down the line so that uh, Bearden was able to come over and feel the ball. Now Eddie Stanky takes strike call over the inside corner just above the knees. Bearden in his windup. The left-handed delivers. Stanky swings and lines one foul down the left field line into the Braves' bullpen. Now Bill Summers calls time. And he orders an unusual situation. Tommy Holmes had come out on the batter circle. That is normal when a pitcher's turn to hit is coming up next. The leadoff man will come over to the batter circle. Billy Southworth had sent Connie Ryan out 
to hit for Voizel, and you had two men on deck. So Bill Summers ordered one of them away. All right, Bearden throws. There's a pitch. A swung on, hit back to the mound. Knocked down by Bearden. Picks the ball up, throws to first in time, and they're two away. Stanky hit a solid liner that nine times out of ten goes right straight through out over second in the center for that base hit. But Gene Bearden knocked the ball down in self-defense more than anything else, recovered quickly, and fired to first in time to retire Stanky. And now we're going to have a pinch hitter for Bill Boyzell. Let's listen to the PA announcement. Tommy Ryan, batting for Boyzell. Number eight, batting for Boyzell. Connie Ryan, a right-hand hitter, coming up to bat for Bill Boyzell. Ryan's an infielder, 5'11", 175-pounder from New Orleans. Takes a pitch that's in there for a call strike. Fastball got the outside corner. The outfield plays him step toward left. Infield shaded slightly around toward third. Gene Bearden delivers. Connie Ryan swings and grounds one foul down the third baseline. Billy Southworth sticks out his southpaw hand and grabs it. Then uh, hands it over to Kenny Keltner, who in turn tosses over to Gene Bearden. You're going to have Red Barrett coming in to do his second consecutive stint of relief pitching in as many days. Ryan up there batting for Boisel. Braves are trailing two to nothing. Top of the eighth inning. Now the pitch. It's low. Ball one. One ball, two strikes. Ryan chokes his bat just about an inch. Stands fairly close to the plate. Swing, starting to swing. He did, says Bill Stewart. And for strike three. Donnie tried to hold up, but Stewart said, no, you went around. No runs for the Braves. No hits. No Cleveland errors. Nobody left on for Boston. And the score, at the end of seven and a half innings, the score is Cleveland two, Boston nothing. When men everywhere you go praise a new shaving aid, there must be a reason. Yes, and when you try the sensational Gillette Blue Blade dispenser, you'll know the reason. This handy device puts 20 Gillette Blue Blades, 40 superb shaving edges, right at your fingertips. Push with your thumb and zip. There's a new blade, unwrapped, ready for any Gillette razor. You save time, save bother. What's more, the shaving edges are perfectly protected at all times. They don't even touch the dispenser when blades are being ejected. Here's the handiest thing you can imagine. Get a Gillette dispenser and enjoy extra shaving convenience. Cost you nothing extra, just 98 cents. The regular price of 20 Gillette Blue Blades. Look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Use Gillette Blue Blades with the sharpest edges ever honed. Red Barrett coming on to do the pitching now for the Boston Braves. Gave up one hit. No runs in two and two-thirds innings of relief pitching on yesterday. So the right-hander is ready to face Joe Gordon, a right-hand batter. Throws. Gordon swings and sends a long drive to left center field. There is Mike McCormick going over and makes the catch right at the base of the wire fence at the 365-foot marker in deep left center. In this huge municipal stadium in Cleveland... They have, within the past uh, two years, erected a wire fence, a 
around the edge of the outfield to reduce the length of the fence for the batters to get a home run. Now here's Kenny Keltner. He swings and lifts the drive out in the right center field. Tommy Holmes racing back, still going back. He's getting under it and makes the catch sort of uh, in a half turn towards uh, center field, and they're two away. That ball was uh, drilled some 365, 70 feet away from home plate. So they're two down. Previous to the previous to the uh, erection of this wire fence, in straight away center field, it was 470 feet to the fence, and uh, similar distances all the way around. They have shortened them by the erection of that wire barrier, except down the foul lines. That uh, distance remains the same. Now here's Waller Judnick. He looks at a pitch over the inside corner for a call strike. Red Barrett tossing that slow stuff, making the Indian hitters supply their own power. Now the pitch is swung on a bounder, hit down the first baseline, that's foul. Billy Grieve, umpiring at first base, went out to the left hand, indicating the ball was foul. Billy Grieve of Yonkers, New York. You know, these umpires have a rough job anytime. And the pressure is always on them, even uh, more so in a World Series, as it is on the players themselves. Every decision, of course, can uh, mean a great deal. Red Barrett ready. The right-hander throws, and the pitch is inside a hook to Judnick. The count is one ball, two strikes. There are two outs here in the last half of the eighth inning. Cleveland leading the Braves by a score of two to nothing. Barrett, the third pitcher employed by Billy Southworth. And the delivery. Slow stuff is outside. 2-2 two, two the count. Here's your delivery, and it's inside to Judnick for ball three. Some more breaking stuff. Judnick walked, struck out, and flying to center. Third game of the World Series. Braves won the opener one to nothing. The Indians won the second game, 4-1. to one. This is the first game being played in Cleveland. And the pitch. Swung on, a ground ball hit out towards second. Stanky to his left, up with it. Throws to Frank McCormick in time for the out. So the Indians are out in order in the last of the eighth inning. No runs, no hits, no errors, nobody left on. At the end of eight innings of play, it's 2 to nothing, Cleveland, and we're ready for that fateful night. Folks, the World Series is as much a part of the American scene as ham and eggs and apple pie. It's just one more symbol of our heritage of free citizenship and individual rights. These liberties are not imperishable. They can be destroyed and lost by our own indifference. The peoples of many other less fortunate nations are at the crossroads between free government and dictatorship. Let's set an example that'll swing the balance to freedom. Your own part is vital. Participate actively in the affairs of your community, state, and nation. Work at being a good citizen. Freedom is everybody's job. We pause now 10 seconds for station identification. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Queen for a Day will be heard immediately following today's game. This is WOR New York. Going into the top of the ninth inning at Municipal Stadium in Cleveland. 
And it's the top of the order for the Boston Braves. They trail 2 to nothing. And it's Tommy Holmes up there, left-hand hitter. 0 for 3 on the afternoon. Grounded short, bounced out to the pitcher and grounded second. Gene Bearden throws high inside for ball one to Tommy. Tommy Holmes, a 5'10", 175-pounder from Brooklyn, New York. Lou Boudreau moves Larry Doby over into straightaway center. Larry was over into left center. Kenny Keller laying in close at third in anticipation of a possible bunt. Gene Burden delivers. Tommy Holmes looks at a fastball that's right in there for a call strike. Wasn't too fat. Got the inside corner just above the knees. Joe Gordon's laying two strides to the right of second deep. Eddie Robinson at first base. Wide of the line, about 15 feet. Here's your pitch. Swung on, hit foul down the third baseline is Tommy Holmes. He's trying to hit in the left field. And there's a man leaning over a field box out there trying to get that ball for a souvenir. He not only did not get the ball, but he lost his hat and has to call the stadium attendant over to give him his fedora. One ball, two strikes the count now on Tommy Holmes, leading off in the top of the ninth inning. Outfield shades him slightly toward left. Gene Bearden delivers. Holmes swings and fouls it off to the left of the plate and to the left of our broadcasting booth under the upper deck. And it's a souvenir for somebody. Holmes trying to get the same type of hit that he got in the eighth inning of the first game to win that ball game for the Braves. one nothing. A line drive down the left field line. Left-hander Gene Bearden ready. Throws. Holmes takes that knuckler, but it's inside. And, of course, low, and the count is 2-2. Two balls, two strikes. Top of the ninth inning, 2 to nothing. favor of Cleveland. Gene Bearden ready. Boy that was born in Helena, Arkansas. Delivers a pitch that swung on. Hit back to the mound. Grabbed a one-hop by Bearden. Throws on over to Eddie Robinson, and Tommy Holmes is out. Bearden to Robinson. So there's one down the top of the ninth inning as Al Dark comes to the plate. Bearden lives in Los Angeles, California now, but he was born in Helena, Arkansas. He's sort of a, an Irish Indian extraction. And you know, the uh, weather has uh, brightened beautifully. Lots of blue in the sky now. After all morning rain, sun is out. Gene Bearden ready, pitching to the right hand, hitting Al Dark, low into the dirt, ball one. One ball, no strikes. Outfield playing Dark toward left. Not too extreme. Infield shaded around toward third. Dark struck out, fly to right, and double to left in that order. Bearden into his wind-up throws. There's the pitch that swung on, hit out over at second. There's Gordon in back of the bag, up to the ball, post to first in time for the out. Joe Gordon was the flash of all there as Al Dark hit that ball right back through the middle out over second. But as we had told you, the infield was shaded around toward third. But even so, Joe Gordon had to flash to his right, come up with that ball, in behind the bag deep. And after all, Dark is a speedy man, had to get the ball away in a hurry to retire. So there are two down in the ninth inning. Cleveland leading 2-0, and the banner is Mike McCormick. 
who struck out single to center and popped to second. Gene Bearden throws a pitch that swung on and missed. Strike one. It was a tumble down Nutler. Outfield plays him to pull. Bearden again ready. Throws. Pitch is swung on. Foul off upstairs. Out of play. Hit right in front of the press box and bounded back down on the playing field. It is now approximately 25 minutes to 3 Eastern uh, Standard Time. Ball game got underway at 1 o'clock. An hour and 35 minute ball game so far. A rather, rather fast game as was the first one. Gene Burden throws. Pitch high outside. And the count now is one ball, two strikes on Mike McCormick. Two outs in the top of the ninth inning. Cleveland leading the Braves, two to nothing. Gene Bearden, great figure on the mound, into the windup. Round comes the left arm. The pitch is high outside. Bearden trying to get Mike McCormick to go after a bad pitch. And now Jimmy Hegan decides to call time to walk out to talk to Bearden. Trying to settle him down. Come on, Gene, don't try to get over it. Too much in a hurry, just take your time. Two balls, two strikes, two outs. We've not had too much uh, confirmation, so to speak, as regards tomorrow's pitchers. Shouldn't be a tall surprise to see maybe Sane and Feller right back at it. That's uh, sheer speculation at the present time. Now the pitch. And it's high for ball three. It was over the outside corner, but high. So you got a full count now on Mike McCormick. With two down, the top of the ninth inning. Nobody on, and the Braves behind two runs. Gene Bearden into his windup, payoff pitch. It swung on and grounded foul off to the left of the plate with Billy Southworth scooping it up. Bob Elliott on deck will hit next if Mike McCormick gets on. The series thus far has been marked primarily by outstanding pitching for the most part. Gene Bearden ready. And the payoff pitch is swung on. It's a pop-up out towards short. Lou Boudreaux's under it, and he makes the catch. And the Indians win the ball game by a score of two to nothing. And the Indian players all run up and grab the hand. Uh, Gene Bearden, photographers, rush the uh, pitcher and the group of Indians and the flashlights. Uh, the bulbs flash as pictures are taken of the elated Indians as they win the third game of the series behind the five-hit pitching and shutout pitching of Gene Bearden. Jim Britt will move in in just a moment to give you the totals and the summary of today's game and whatever observations he may have. It was Gene Bearden that went all the way. The same fellow who uh, put the Cleveland Indians into the World Series by beating the Red Sox in the playoff and who came back to pitch this game today and pitched it beautifully. Two runs, five hits. No errors for the Indians with seven men left on. 
And for Boston, no runs, five hits, one error, and three men left on. Vern Bickford started for the uh, Boston Braves with Bill Boisel and Red Barrett coming in in relief. And it was Vern Bickford who was charged with the defeat. So that's it. That's the end of the third game. And now moving into the Gillette microphone is Jim Britt. Thank you, Mel. This is the second time in three years that a World Series has produced two shutouts because in 1946, Harry the Cap Rakeen and Dave Ferris of the St. Louis Cardinals and Boston Red Sox respectively turned in blankings. The final score again, Cleveland, two runs, five hits, no errors, seven men left on base. The Boston Braves, no runs, five hit, one error. And there were three men left on base. The Braves got only one runner as far as third base, and only two other men got as far as second. The five hits were divided equally among five of the Braves, and Al Dark was the only one to get a double. It's interesting to note that in this series so far, the Braves have had only two extra base hits, doubles by Stanky and Dark, and Cleveland has happened to have only three extra base hits. Doubles by Dobie, Boudreaux, and Bearden. The hero of this ball game, 60 ways from Sunday, was Gene Bearden. And Mel, I know that you and our Gillette listeners will be interested to know that that makes one earned run against Bearden over his last 38 innings of pitching in 1948. And that one earned run came in the 21st inning during the championship playoff game in Boston. He then went on to allow two unearned runs in that contest and no earned runs whatever today. No runs at all, in fact. Furthermore, he wielded the big stick for Lou Boudreaux's Indians because in the third inning, after two hitless innings had been flung by Vern Bickford, with one man out, Bearden doubled over Tommy Holmes's head in right field. It was a long wallop that would have been well up into the right field bleachers at Boston. Then Mitchell walked. Doby hit a ground ball that looked like a perfectly set-up double play. But when Eddie Stanky fired to Al Dark, as Dark relayed to first base, Bearden, meantime, having gone to third, Mitchell hit him, knocked his elbow out of Kilder, and the ball sailed way by first baseman Buck McCormick into the Cleveland dugout, Bearden coming in with a run, an unearned run to be sure, the second unearned run the Indians have scored. But it put Cleveland in front 1-0, and as subsequent developments proved, that was all Bearden needed. But in the fourth inning... Bickford made the fatal mistake of walking Keltner. He then struck out Judnick. Robinson singled Keltner to second. Hegan singled to center, scoring Keltner. Bearden singled to load the bases and drive out Bickford. And then Boisel came in to retire the side. The Braves can derive some measure of consolation from the fact that their three relief pitchers, Red Barrett, Nels Potter, and Bill Boisel, have yielded only one unearned run and three hits in nine and a third innings of pitching. But it is a simple truth that the horse had been stolen prior to their appearances in the two games in which they worked. This game, incidentally, was six minutes shorter than the game on opening day. So far, they are well on their way to a record for wrapping up these World Series classics in near record time. So far in the ball games, the Indian pitchers have benefited by four double plays, while the Braves have been able to turn in only two. 
and two costly Braves errors have given Cleveland as many runs. The first run today was the result of one of six misplays, which the Indians have benefited by. Incidentally, in the series to date, Cleveland has scored four runs, and those four runs, by the way, have been racked up in 26 innings of play, 17 hits, only three of them extra base hits, three doubles. The Indians, however, have made only one error, one defensive mistake against six for Boston. The Indians have left 21 men on base. The Braves have scored only two runs, one of them unearned. They have 15 hits, just two fewer than Cleveland, and only two of those were doubles. But they have committed six misplays. Today, the one earned run which Cleveland collected was enough for Mr. Bearden. You'll recall, of course, that he was the hero of an action in Kula Gulf when he was down below decks as a Japanese torpedo struck his ship. He has a silver plate in his head and several silver plates in his legs. He also has ice water in his veins and iron and steel in his heart. It was he who won the championship playoff game for Cleveland at Fenway Park last Monday, and it was likewise the stout-hearted young left-hander, the owner of one of the few portside knuckleballs in the business, who was just too good for Boston today. And I know that when Mel and I get an opportunity to chat with the Boston Braves in their dressing room, they will be just as unstinting in their praise of Bearden's work today as they were of Lemons yesterday and as the sporting Cleveland Indians were of Johnny Sains in the opener. There is a possibility that Bob Feller will go tomorrow, but my own speculation is that we are more likely to see a second-line pitcher like Steve Gromek or Southpaw Sam Zoldak, while Billy Southworth will probably have to come right back with John Sane. Sane won six games in 18 days during the finishing days of the season, and with two days rest, should be able to come back against the Indians. I feel very strongly that he is just about Billy's only available choice. Tomorrow, we bring you the fourth game of the 1948 World Series from huge Municipal Stadium in Cleveland on the shorefront of Lake Erie. Make a note that we'll be on the air at 12.45. 12.45 Eastern Standard Time, the same as today. And the promise is for clear skies and good baseball weather. Until then, folks, smooth sailing, smooth shaving, and good afternoon from your host, the Gillette Safety Razor Company, Mel Allen and Jim Britt.